Hey, man, you saved the best to the end, huh? Thank you. Wonderful. Beautiful song. Thank you so much, team. You know, if you studied history like I have, you would find that in every generation, somehow uh, throughout history, you find that there are people who have power, and then there are other people who want to take that power for themselves from the others. So it's throughout history, <laughs> uh, whether it is political power or economic power or, or, or media power or, sadly, power in the church. Back in the 1980s, in the denomination that I used to belong to, they had, uh, I was involved in a symposium discussing the ordination of women. I will not bore you with the details, but I'll never forget, I'll never forget a well-known feminist activist who got up and she said, you men have had the power in the church for too long, and now it's time for us women to take that power away from you, and we can do a better job. Well, actually, I'm not sure I would disagree with a better job. <laughs> I publicly have said that, and I'm so grateful for the women's ministry in this church and what they've done or accomplished and the leadership of Elise and others, and I'm just grateful to God for, for, for the amazing things that the women ministry does here. But the question that I raised was this. Listen carefully, please. If you think that a man or a woman has power in the church, then you need to go and find something else to do. Get out of ministry. Then I proceeded to explain true biblical servant leadership, not power, servant leadership. Unfortunately, I did not succeed in changing any minds. Some of you old enough to remember the 80s and the 90s, where the word power was banded about a great deal. Everybody's talking about power. Back then, we did not have lunch. We had power lunch. Remember that? Some of you will remember. I know. We did not just have a talk, we had a power talk. We even wore power ties. <laughs> oh, team, we just couldn't get enough of that word power. And as I mentioned, there was a lot of rhetorics, rhetorics about the power in the church. Oh, but listen, they did not talk about God's power. They did not talk about the power of the Word of God. They did not talk about the power of the gospel. They didn't even talk about the power of prayer. Sadly, beneath all of that big talk about power, it was impossible to see the power of God working in these churches. Thankfully, most of them are dead and dying. And yet, as we conclude the disciples' prayer today, we pray that yours, whose is the kingdom and the power and the glory. My beloved friends, the power, all power, all authority 
belong to God alone. And yet, he wants his church and his churches to live and walk in his power, not our own. For what purpose? So that we lord it over people? No. So that we would run rough shots over people? Absolutely not. To manifest the power by wearing certain vestments, certain gowns, or certain robes? No. To use that power for self-serving? Absolutely not. None of that. God is a zealous God. And he said, I share my glory with none. God is a mighty God. And his power cannot be usurped. And unless, my beloved friends, his power is used to transform lives, unless his power is used to bless his kingdom, unless his power be used to heal, restore, convert, and consecrate, unless his power is used to save the lost and equip the saints, sooner or later we will remove, he will remove that power from us. Dr. Luke records one of the very last words of our resurrected Jesus to his disciples. And it's found in Luke 24, 48 and 49. And Jesus speaking to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said, I'm going to send you what the Father promised. But stay in the city until you have been closed with power. Question. From where is that power coming? From their ordination certificate? From their titles? From their degrees? No. Until you have been closed with power from above. And in Matthew 28, 18, which we refer to as the Great Commission, and rightly so, the Great Commission, and we always jump in the middle of the Great Commission and say, go, but we miss out the most important part of that Great Commission. Before he can say to them, go, he said, all power. How many of that power? All, all authority. How many of that authority? All. Have been given to me, and listen to this, not just in heaven, but here on earth. He has all of the power on earth as it is, and as it, he has it in heaven. Let, let this just marinate in your brain. Just, just think about this, please. Think about it. Just take time to think about it, okay? And I'm going to tell you why. My heart is broken over the fact that today, Christians are running around like scaredy cats. They're running around like a chicken with their head cut off. Christians are running around and worried and terrified. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Yet we worship a God who said, I have what? All power. All authority in the universe. Not just in heaven, but here on earth. Therefore, go. Go comes after the declaration that all of the power, all of the authority given to him, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And my beloved friends, based on these words of Jesus, I can tell you whenever we serve, whenever we attempt to do some great things for God, whenever we launch into anything without His power, we are dead in the water. Today, the average church, they debate, they discuss, they argue, and then they vote. No wonder we have no power to change society. No wonder the church is weak, weaker than water. No wonder we have lost our saltness and our light is flickering. No wonder we are resorting to political tactics and lobbying just like the pagans do. When we know, when we know the one who said all power, how many? All authority, how many in heaven and on earth has been given to me? And he says, I only send you out in that power. In that power. Without that power, you're playing church. I can tell you what many of you already know, so, but I'm going to repeat, let me just repeat it. To attempt to live the Christian life, or to attempt to impact society, or to attempt to bring any changes for good or God, to attempt even to serve Him without His power, we are spinning our wheels. Have you heard what they said about the disciples? Have you heard about what they said about the disciples? They were not powerful CEOs. They were not powerful preachers. They were not powerful politicians. They were not even powerful fishermen. They were average fishermen. And yet it was said of that ragtag group of men, it was said of them, they've turned the world upside down. The very man who denied Jesus three times when he was closed with power, he gets up and preached one sermon. 3,000 people give their life to Christ. That's God's power. That's God's power. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it tells us about the reaction of the Jewish leaders to these disciples. Their reaction was incredulous when you think about it. Here's what it says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, unschooled. Listen to me. They have not been to Harvard or Oxford. They have not been to Cambridge or Yale. They haven't even gone to Emory, for God's sake. They have no degrees. They had no education. But the Word of God, and look, I, I am not against education. I got the highest of degrees, okay? So this is not an inferiority complex. The words according to Luke in the book of Acts, they refer to them as ordinary men. And they were astonished. And listen to this. 
He said, they took note. Are you with me? They took note that these men have been with Jesus. And that's all the power they needed. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Say it with me. Yours But then Jesus said, you shall receive my power. You shall receive my strength. But only when you don't have a strength of your own. When you don't have a strength of your own. Then you have my power. You have my strength. There's something that I have noticed that happened when, this, when these men took Jesus at his word. They took him at his word and received that power. Whenever they went to a town, two things happened simultaneously at the same time. Two things, riot and revival. Let me tell you something. They got together. They got together. So let me tell you, believers in Jesus, do not be surprised at the opposition. Don't be surprised they're attacking us. That's good news. Their conscience is burning. When we proclaim the truth and they get angry at us, praise God. We want a revival and a riot because both go together. They belong together. They go hand in hand. Some of these early believers were stoned to death. Others were given to hungry lions. And yet the power of God continued to grip them. Consequently, the gospel burned like a brush fire across the Roman world. I can absolutely assure you of this. Christian believers in the first century, the early church, they were not bored like the believers in the 21st century. See, kids talk, well, I'm bored. Let me tell you something, kids. Adults get bored too. And many of them get bored in the church. They get bored. Because we all have that void. And that void, if it's not filled with God's power, is going to be filled with our power. Which is no power at all. I want to tell you why. I want to tell you why. Listen to me. The good thing about getting old, I don't worry anymore. It's wonderful. I love getting old. <laughs> the reason the early church was not getting bored like the 21st century church is because they were not obsessed with church program like some Baptists do. They were not, they've not become obsessed with social action as some Methodists do. They were not obsessed with doing things in decent and order as some Presbyterians do. They did not obsess with how high can you jump for Jesus as some Pentecostals do. They were not obsessed with using the right liturgy as the Catholic and the Lutherans and Episcopalians do. 
They did not worship at the altar of prosperity gospel as some charismatics do. Did I leave anyone out? <laughs> did I leave anyone out? I am equal opportunity offender. <laughs> and God bless you if you're upset. <laughs> Beloved, as I said, the older I get, the more I become obsessed with only one, and his name is Jesus. Yeah. And today, my longing for whatever years I've got left, whatever years he has for me, my longing is to be totally possessed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Possessed by His power to deliver, power to heal, power to transform lives, power to pull down every stronghold, and power to convert sinners, power to conquer and convict of sin, power to uplift people and give them a foretaste of heaven. And if you're looking for anything else from me, God bless you. Here's what Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. I, I wish to God that you would write it down. Put it on your fridge. Have it on your desk at work. Keep it in your car. Here's what the apostle Paul said. The kingdom of God is not, is not, is what? It's not a matter of talk, but power. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. I taught about the kingdom and I taught about the glory throughout the series of messages. That's why I'm focusing on the power today. And the question I think most of us, I know most of you are very thinking people, and the question that most thinking people would have to ask is this, what happened? What happened? Why did we lose the power of God in the church? And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church. I'm going to answer my own question, but only after telling you a true story, because this true story is going to explain what I'm trying to say. Back in the early 1900s, this is a true story. As electricity was so rare, just few people have it. In fact, several, few places would have electricity in the early 1900s. One of our doctors here explained to me why when I cry, my nose runs. He explained to me, and I couldn't understand it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. But in those early days, a very well-known frugal lady, she was a very frugal Scots lady, she lived on, the, on Scotland's west coast. One day she surprised all her neighbors by announcing that she's going to bring electricity into her home. None in the neighborhood, doing no electricity at all. She was the first one to announce that she's going to have it in her house. 
As I said, remember, this was, they're still using candles. There was no electricity at that time. It was so scarce. The neighbors were shocked. <laughs> of all people in the neighborhood, she is going to bring electricity to her home. And, but true to her word, she did apply, and the electricity board installed electricity in her house. But then something strange happened. Something strange happened. Listen carefully. When the meter reader came from the electric board company, and he looked at the meter, he noticed something very strange. It was very strange. And the man was puzzled as he looked at that meter. And so he asked the lady, are you getting electricity all right? Is, is, is it working okay? And the woman said, yes, absolutely. It works wonderfully. It works well. Why are you asking? He shook his head and he said, he said, I'm looking at the meter and it shows that you have used so very little of it in the past three months. It was a matter of minutes. She laughed and she said, oh yeah, that, let me explain to you. She said, you see, I don't need very much of it. Every evening when the sun down, I turn the electric lamps on just long enough to light the candles <laughs> and then turn off the electricity. My beloved friends, my beloved friends, that's what has happened to the church of Jesus Christ. We're exactly like this frugal lady. We are wired up for power but we seldom use it. Our souls are saved, but our hearts have not changed. We are spiritually connected, but it's not registering in our lives, in our plans, in our lifestyle. We trust Jesus for salvation, but we operate on our own scheme. It is true we occasionally flip the switch, especially when we are desperate in need and know that nothing can help us, but no one can help us but Jesus. But only long enough for us to have our own power kicks in. And as a result, we spend all of our Christian life, our church life, our ministry life, living in the shadows, living in the shadows. Oh, we sing, my goodness, we sing, churches sing, there is power in the blood, there's power in the blood, and 30 minutes later, they kick in their own power. They make decisions and resolutions and commitment and recommitment, but soon, deep down inside, they start digging in. Let me ask you this, am I preaching truth? Yes. Or you can say no if you want to, that's fine too. Am I preaching truth? I want to tell you something else. <laughs> it's going to even further illustrate what I'm trying to say. It's going to sound funny to you, and you may even laugh, but it's absolutely true. Back in 1977 and 78, those two years, my wife and I and our two little girls at the time, I can't believe that in two years' time I'm going to have somebody 50. 
It's so hard to believe it. I feel that I'm 50 myself. <laughs> but during those two years, 77 and 78, we lived in Pasadena, California. And our apartment was literally one block away from Colorado Boulevard. For those of you who might not know, I doubt it, but just in case you don't know, Colorado Boulevard is where uh, they bring down on the first day of every year the Tournament of Roses Parade. The Tournament of Roses Parade. Uh, we didn't have to travel and go and find the parking space. We just walked literally to 10 seconds and we were around uh, on Colorado Boulevard. We we're just living a block away from it. On New Year's Day, particular year. And by the way, this New Year's Day is on a Sunday. Don't stay home and watch the Tournament of Roses, okay? You need to be here. I mean, even if those of you who have got used to drinking coffee, sit in your pajamas, get here on New Year's Day. I have a message from the Lord for you. How to be absolutely confident with, of the future. And so I don't want you to miss it. Be here. Don't stay home for New Year's Day. But as I said, we stood there literally a block from our apartment. And as these beautiful parades of roses, tournament of roses were coming through one after another, one after another, and, I, I, and, and the people ooing and owing and oh, look at this, oh, look at that. I've always been since I was a boy. I'm not interested in these things. I'm always watching people. Isn't that amazing? I, I just don't know why. God has just prepared me so I can watch you, and I know if you're listening or not. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I've always been a people watcher. It's, 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 it's one of my favorite things to do. And so are these floats coming in? Oh, look at this. Oh, who is that? And, what? and talking about it, I'm looking at people. I'm, I'm looking at their reaction. Then all of a sudden... The parade came to a standstill. Standstill for half an hour. And people were really getting antsy. I mean, they were just murmuring around the place. What's happening? What's wrong? What's going on? Why is that? What is well, I'll tell you what happened. You know, of course, the cars and trucks carrying those floats, right? And those cars are powered with gas. Well, one of the cars ran out of gas <laughs> in the middle of the parade. And as you see a man kind of got a little, a, a little can going to the gas station and bringing gas, putting it in the tank of that car. But when you know what that car and who that float belongs to, you'll blow your mind. Guess who that float belonged to? It belonged to no other than the Standard Oil Company. <laughs> With all the resources of oil around the globe, they could not keep their float moving down the parade. Oh, my beloved brothers, my sisters, please listen. Today we have beautiful mega churches that are standing still and holding back the parade of the church of Jesus. Why? Because back yonder, so many of them made the decision that they're going to operate on the world's standards. 
that they're going to operate on self-affirmation, that they're going to operate on positive thinking, that they're going to operate by baptizing sin into the church, by operating, by refusing to call sin, sin. And that, my beloved friends, operating without the supernatural power of Jesus. And as a result, we're stalling the parade, the church's parade, the church's parade. Amazing to me, always amazing to me, when Paul and Silas were beaten black and blue, they were beaten until blood was coming and the feet are in the stocks. In Philippi, and yet they turned the prison into a praise house. In the prison, they bec- turned it into a powerhouse for God. If modern believers or Christian believers today experiencing far, far, far less suffering than that today, they would be feeling sorry for themselves. They would have been regretting and wishing that they never had Philippi on their schedule. Uh, wishing that they had kept their mouth shut instead of speaking boldly. Uh, they would lay short odds on never seeing the daylight. Under far less conditions, most Christians today fold. We would give up on the power of God and settle out of court to save our skin. I think most of us, including your pastor, and I am not, the fact that I'm broken before you is an indication. Most of us, including your pastor, probably would have cried to God, God, get us out of here and get us out of here now. But instead, Paul and Silas were singing their hearts out, praising God, blessing God, worshiping God. I've written the book on the power of praise, but listen to me. In Paul and Silas' case, the power of praise manifested itself in a powerful earthquake. And they stopped the very man who beat them up from taking his own life. And instead, they saved him, baptized him, he and his whole household. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Say it with me. Yours. Jesus said, all power. How many? All, all authority. How many? All. Has been given to me, both in heaven and on earth. Go only in my power. Witness only in my power. Serve only in my power. Give only in my power. I know many of you have traveled to Europe and many parts of the United States and have seen churches that used to be powerhouses for God. And now they're museums. They're museums. 
You know the amazing thing about the disciples' prayer that we've been looking at and concluding today? It began with, hallowed be thy name. And this one, I talked about that. The kingdom come. And I talked about that. And here it ends. With yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. See, we often make the mistake of thinking. Listen to me, please. Listen to me. Uh, This is rampant among God's people. We often make the mistake of thinking that the kingdom of Jesus is a democracy. It is not. Did you get that? Say amen. Amen. Or Jesus asking for our vote. He's campaigning for our vote. Or that he will take Gallup polls to find out what people like and what they don't like, and then he gives them what they want. Or that he's going to assemble a panel of experts. God delivers from the experts to advise him what to do. Or that he is going to negotiate with different groups in order to keep them on board. Oh, dear God. Or as they're happening in many of the liberal churches, there's going to have a dialogue, particularly with people of other religions. Now they refer to them as our dialogue partners, the Buddhists and the Hindu and the Muslims, not people that we need to bring to Christ. No, 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 they are dialogue partners. Beloved, I want to tell you, no, 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 and a million no's. That's exactly what got us into trouble. Please listen to me. When Jesus reigns, he reigns in power and great glory. I often wonder, and I must confess to you, that happened three times in my study as as I'm writing these words, and I, I often wondered, and I do that on a regular basis, being in an apartment high-rise, and I'm looking up to heaven many a times. I'll look up to, to heaven, and I'll say, Lord, I wonder what you think of your bride, the church. The half-hearted commitment, the lukewarm love of love for him, the preoccupation with things of earth that has no eternal value whatsoever. Self-serving pastors. And when I do that, I often weep, sometimes uncontrollably. No, I'm not depressed. I'm not suffering from depression. And that is why I believe more and more I'm absolutely convinced as I'm standing before you today that God is going to keep purging his bride. He's going to keep purifying his bride. The people talk about the falling away and these preachers and these singers and these people turning away on the faith. I think, fine. It's just a matter of God separating the sheep from the goats. And that is why when I come to this part of the disciples' prayer, I often cry to the Lord, Father, I want all of your power and all of your glory to be yours alone. And Father, I know that I can do nothing without your power. 
I am totally ineffective without your power. And I cannot accomplish your will in my life without your power. And today, Father, I want to bring glory to your name. Let your name be glorified in the words, in the actions, and in thought, and in all my decision-making process. And Father, today, let those who will see the works of my hands and the words of my lips say, what an awesome God we worship, and nothing about me. For you alone is the power and the glory and the majesty and the dominion and authority forever and ever. And all of God's people said, amen, so be it. I don't know if the Holy Spirit spoken to you. Certainly the Holy Spirit speaks to each of us individually differently, not two alike, because none, none of us are in the same circumstances or same place in life. And the Holy Spirit of God knows that, and He speaks differently to each of us. I pray to God, whether you are watching around the world or whether you're here in this sanctuary, that if the Holy Spirit spoke to you and you want to let go and have His power operate in you alone, His power alone operate in you, join with me in this prayer. Father, yours is the power, the kingdom, and the glory and we ask you in Jesus' name to infuse your people with your power. Forgive us. We repent of the use of our own weakly power, sickly power, and imbued in us your strength. And so that, Father, the world will, see, will say about us like they said about the disciples. They took note of them. They've been with Jesus. In His name I pray. All of God's people said amen. amen. Thank you, team.